0: Now, the next anhoga of the Rabban Islam, which I want to talk about, is what's called System 2, or anhogasa mishpat. And what anhogasa mishpat is, is those set of actions by the Rabban Ishlam, which are in consequence to the misim, or the acts of man, to either reward or punish man. In other words, those actions which are initiated by the Rabban Islam which arise or are the outcome of man's actions are called amagisa mishpat. In other words, actions in response to judgment proceedings concerning man. What do I mean? When the Rabbanishlam institutes judgment proceeding, proceedings in consequence to man's acts, in other words, if man is either bringing a tikkun, a correction, a rectification to creation, or, f- or, or else he is furthering mechalkal creation, he is bringing a further kilkul to creation, he is damaging creation. When the Rabbanu Shlame institutes judgment, judgment proceedings in consequence to man's act acts, either tikkun or kilkul, to either reward man or punish him, then these judgment decisions translated into actions fall under the Hanhogas hamishpat category. These actions by the Rabbanu Shlame can be punishment, they can be sufferings, they can be failures or they can be reward, happiness or success. Many times you see a person succeed or he fails, he is happy or sad, he goes through a great deal of sufferings or he is very healthy. A great deal of these kind of uh, experiences that man goes through is the result of An Mishpat. In other words, the Rabbeinu Shlom in consequence following man's acts, and as a result of man's acts, he judges man, and the, what the decisions are is to give man either success, happiness or whatever, or to give him failure, and, and of course, uh, sadness or suffering. These actions itself, or rather these experiences that man goes through, many times are a result of the an the key concept in Hanhoga in, Samishpat in is that these actions which are initiated by the Rabbanu Shlom in the physical world will only come following man's actions and also will only be or will only come as a result of the actions. These are judgment decisions. They will never precede man's actions. If these events, for instance, suffering, failure, success, happiness precede man's actions, then they cannot be the consequence of his act and therefore these actions must be occurring because they belong to another anhagah, perhaps anhogas hakiyam to set up man where he will then be tested in those areas so therefore we see that anhogas Mishpot is when man doesn't act, first phase second phase, man is judged Third phase, an action is, ensues from the Rabbeinu following the act, and in consequence to the act, and of course is visited upon man. That's Hanagas mishpat When acts happen to man as a result of his causation, these acts are his responsibility. That's Hanagas Mishpat. If a man receives acts from the Rabbeinu Shalom, if he goes through experiences, which he does not understand and as far as he's concerned are not a result of his acts he didn't do anything to deserve this then it is not a result of Anhogat HaMishpat it is a result of Anhogat HaKiyom because he's got to have them in order to create a proper test circumstance for him for instance many people sometimes not many people but sometimes people become very wealthy and they know they didn't do anything to deserve it sometimes a person becomes very sick and he says, why do I deserve this? Sometimes a person goes through a lot of suffering and he can't figure it out. Sometimes a person, uh, some, uh, something unusually good happens to him. He becomes very happy. And you also cannot understand why. He didn't do any merit to deserve this. Then if it's not attributed to An-Hogis HaMishpat, in other words, these experiences do not emanate from his actions, then they must emanate from the acts of God under the category of Hanagash HaKiyom, so it's one of the other but in any case Hanagash HaMishpat of course is a second category that classifies or organizes those acts which are, 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 are a result of man's acts and they are really the translations of actions from judicial decisions It should be noted that a reward to man in consequence to his good action does not imply a reward in its true sense. It doesn't mean because a man became a millionaire. Even as a result of his acts, it doesn't mean that that is his reward. Rather, man receives success, whether it be material or spiritual, (coughs) whether it be happiness or health, in order to better facilitate and make easier pr- to perform more mitzvahs, so as to earn more reward reward <coughs> what that says basically is that the fact that you are receiving <coughs> goodness or things which are beneficial to you even if they be in consequence to your acts does not make it a reward for your acts but what it is is that <coughs> In the path that a man wants to go, then God pushes him in that direction. They lead him, they conduct him in that direction. So therefore, if a person wants to learn, and he learns under tremendous difficulty, then let's all of a sudden, let's assume that he becomes very wealthy all of a sudden. That wealth is not a reward for his learning. That wealth is to enable him to sit and learn without any interference of anxiety or worry. You see... So those rewards are really more in the nature of Basha than rewards. The real and ultimate reward of a mitzvah takes place only in olam haba and not this world. And as it says, mitzvah, Bayama, lekka. reward for a commandment or a mitzvah. In this world, lekka is absent. There is no such thing as the reward for a commandment or a mitzvah in this world. And even though you see, it says in the Torah, that if you observe my mitzvahs, then this will happen to you. You will have all the fruits in its time, and the rains will come, and none of the animals will die, and your wives will bear children without any miscarriages, etc., etc. Et what that means is that you will be free then to occupy growth and spirituality without any kind of worry or anxiety. That's what it really means. It doesn't mean you are rewarded for the mitzvah which you have done because the true reward of the mitzvah can only be experienced in Oilem Haba, and not in Oilem Hazed. And that's important to remember, that even if somebody experiences things which look like a reward, they are not a reward, they are rather circumstances which facilitate greater and easier spiritual growth. Now, besides this set of actions of anhogasam mishpat. There is a second set of actions that follow and are consequences of his acts, of man's acts, which are also included in the category of actions termed Hanhogas mishpat. The first subclass of actions which I had mentioned affects man's experiences, his health, his success, failure or suffering. In other words, what happens to a man in terms of his experiences if it, if it results as a result of his, his actions, that's the actions under the category of An-Hogus but it's the first uh, first uh, division. The second subclass of actions in An-Hogus affect not man's experiences, but rather the state of man, namely the state or the amount of Hester and ha'orah which exists in the world. In other words, the amount of hesti Yechudoi, the concealment of the oneness of God and the amount of Haoras the, of Yechudoi, the presence or the illumination of the oneness of God, in the world is caused or determined by man's acts. That's the second subclass of actions which the Rabbani initiates under the term Hanhagas Now... We see, therefore, that they, or this state of creation, is a direct consequence of man's moral behavior as regards mitzvahs. Now, to be more specific and concrete, when man, and when I say man, I, of course, mean, in the present day, Jews, because Jews today are masaknim, they can bring a tikun to creation and nobody else. Now, when Jews, or man, <clears throat> obey the Rebbein will, when they do his mitzvahs, Then the result of this behavior is greater presence of the Rabot in creation as manifested by by the following phenomena. That there is enormous success of true spirituality and genuine religious institutions in the world. All of a sudden you see that when a person wants to learn, it's very easy to understand, it's easy to learn he doesn't have to worry about making a living, all of a sudden it's easy to grow in spirituality. That's what happens when man does the mitzvahs, and he obeys the Rabbanu Shlame's will. The result of that is called Haorasi Chudoi, that the presence of God, His glory, pervades creation, or comes back into creation. And then the, the result of that, the manifestations or expressions of that, is that spirituality is very easy to come by religious institutions thrive, people who want to promote the, the concept of the belief of God are successful, truth is prevalent now at the same time evil and all those people who try to promote evil either are destroyed or utterly subdued they consistently fail in their attempts to promote and publicize either atheism, materialism, crime, or false doctrines and religions. I know this is a hard state to believe in, because it is so absent from today's times. But if the Jews would do the mitzvahs and listen to the will of God completely, then we would not see what we see today. We would see an enormous hashpor, divine spiritual force that would pervade creation and force all the kochus that relate to the physical world, to that relate to, to individuals interested in spirituality, uh, institutions and so on, they would be successful. And it would be very easy to acquire spirituality. However, and not only that, but we would see the reverse in terms of the those people who are showing that they would fail in attempting to do what they want to attempt. You would not see the proliferation of evil the way we do now. On the other hand, when man, of course now we, when I mean men I mean of course only Jews, when Jews disobey the rabbi Shalom and commit sins, the result of this behavior is greater absence of the divine presence or shchina or the glory of God. In creation. And this absence of the Rabunaslam manifests itself through the enormous success and proliferation of evil and those people who wish to promote it. Thus, dictators, tyrants, atheists, materialists, criminals, and false religions, false religions, gain tremendous growth and domination over the world. That's what happens when Jews do chatoim and they introduce and introduce Hesti the concealment of the oneness of God, where the Shekhinah or divine presence of God leaves creation, so to speak, and therefore evil now proliferates in the absence of God. And while we see the growth of evil, at the same time truth, wisdom, spirituality, and religious adherence to Judaism especially, Experience enormous failure and obstacles toward growth. It is very difficult to learn. What you, what you learn, you forget. It is hard to do a mitzvah with with kavona. There are so many intrusions that happen to you. People do not donate to yeshivas anymore. Yeshivas are starving. Rabbis are not getting paid, etc., etc. And there are many scandals in the Jewish community. That's what happens when evil proliferates. And of course. Um, um, and this, of course, is a result of the sins of man. Now, this state of man, of course, is, is caused by the acts or sins of Jews, or man, and the resultant actions by the Rabbanu in creating the state falls also under the category of anhogas Hamishput. So we see, therefore, that anhogas HaMishpat also has this second subclass, that the actual state of creation is changed from a state of Hester to a state of Ha'ara if man does mitzvahs or it's changed from a state of Ha'ara, divine presence or illumination, to a state of Hester if man does Chatoim that state of creation is determined by the mitzvahs, the commandments, the righteousness of Jews or the evil perpetrated by Jews, or the sins perpetrated by Jews they actually can change the state of creation So we see therefore That the Hanagas has two subclasses One subclass is that those actions Which are initiated by the Rabban In consequence to man's acts And which are directed toward the experience of man That's one class, subclass And the second subclass Is when there are actions which are initiated by the, uh, by the um, initiated by the rabbi in consequence again to man's acts, which, which uh, uh, influence the state of creation. And of course, eventually, the state of creation influences the experiences of man. But it is state of creation that, of course, is affected in this particular form of Hanhagas HaMishpat. This Hanhagah, or Hanhagas is deterministic. It's Is'arusa Deli deliela that the Rabbeinu initiates actions and causes these events to occur by sending a message, of course, Hashpah, to the Malochim that manipulate the Koiches that, of course, bring about all these events. And the Hashpah, of course, is directed milamailah lemato, from above to below. Now, Hanogat HaMishpat is the most absolute, unchanging principle in creation, in that man's future state in Ulim Habab is due solely and only to the extent of His righteousness. Hanhagas HaMishpat is absolute. He receives no more and no less than what He earned in this world through His acts as regards the mitzvahs. That is Hanhagas mishpat. You get what you earned. The more you earned the more you get. The more you labored to understand who God is the more you comprehend God in Eilem Haba. The less you labor to comprehend God, the less you receive of the comprehension of God in the Ulam Habor. It's an exact equation. However, a creation that only has the first two Anhogas, Anhogas HaKiyum and Anhogas mishpot, would present a real possible calamity. Creation would be in the exact state caused by man because man causes the state of creation by his acts which means that if mankind as a whole were to miscalculate or damage creation and not be masakin it and not correct it and how would that happen of course by doing continuous evil acts like the dohamabo then there is a real possibility that oilamabo would never materialize and the will of god to have a community in oilamabo receiving a tova would be totally frustrated And that is why, because the 1st and 2nd Anhoges, Anhoges HaMishpot, or rather Anhoges HaKiyum, Anhoges HaMishpot, guarantee only that man will have the opportunity and the ability to earn HaTovah in a future world. But they do not ensure or guarantee this outcome in any way. They give man the setup. They force man to engage in the setup. And man experiences the results of his engagement in the setup. But if a man... Or if mankind refuses to do good, and they all do evil, instead of being a Satan creation, they are a creation. So it comes out that creation remains in a state of kilkul, because creation can only move toward tikkun or kilkul in response to the acts of man, and never to any other force. It comes out that man who continuously does evil is a creation. Creation remains in its kilkul, Oilem ha never materializes and the will of God is totally frustrated that is a real possibility according to these first two anogas, because those two anogas only guarantee the opportunity and the ability of man to interact with the world and to (coughs) possibly mesak in the world does not ensure and guarantee that he will do it that is free will choice and it is up to man but that's a terrible idea that it is possible for the universe to be destroyed. And the truth is that's exactly what happened in the Dora The Dora was a generation. The entire mankind corrupted was mechalkal creation. To such an extent where Hanahoges Hamishpot demanded Ibud, destruction. And that's exactly what happened. And only Noach was saved because he was a tzaddik. Therefore he was saved. But their gen- that generation destroyed it was mechanical creation to such an extent that they all deserved ibud, and they tucker all, they, and, they, uh, and they really all died through the flood, the marble. So therefore, we see that if it happened once, why can't it happen again? So we see that there seems to be a deficiency in the first two onhoges, hanhoges hakim and that if the world is to truly survive, and that if the world truly has to reach a tikkun, then obviously a third a nuan Anhogah must be introduced. So we see therefore that there is a real possibility that creation will be in a state of complete kilko, as is what's happened by the Doha Mabal, the the generation of the flood, and Oilem Habo could never materialize because only if man through his mistress is mesakin creation can there be an Oilem Habo. If there is no Tikkun, however, then there is no Oilem Habo or future world. The Rebbe will not transform Oilem hazeh into Oilem Habo, which is the process that must take place because of the acts of man. The Rebbe will not transform Oilem hazeh into Oilem Habo by any force that is not in consequence to man's righteous actions or man's proper actions because then he would be violating mishpat or justice and the fundamental cardinal idea of creation of course is justice where and that really means reciprocity that man gets what he does man is the cause of his actions that is really what justice means and the abortion will not miss creation by himself only man can do this by his righteous acts or appropriate acts Therefore, we see <clears throat> that there seems to be <clears throat> a deficiency in creation if only these two Hanhogas are instituted. Now, as a result of this, the Rabbanu instituted a third Hanhoga whose task it is to ensure the existence of a community in receiving infinite HaTovah and that, of course, is the purpose of creation. What is this system? This is called System Three, or anhogaseyuchod. And what is anhogaseyuchod? Those set of actions which are initiated by the rabbanu shalom that ensures that the creation will achieve a tikkun, a tikkun haklali, a general or complete rectification by a particular nation, thereby guaranteeing. That that nation will be an in oilem habo, receiving infinita thus fulfilling the ultimate purpose of creation. That is what an hagaseyichud is. It is those set set of particular actions which the Rebbelechdim, of course, initiates that guarantees that makes sure that ensures that creation must achieve a tikkun haklali by a particular nation, and therefore, of course, the Rebbelechdim guarantees that this nation, that will have performed this Tikkun HaKlali, that this nation will be in ulim HaBo, receiving this infinite hatova, and of course, as a result of that, we see that the ultimate purpose of creation is uh, fulfilled. That is what an Any action which ensures this outcome is an action which belongs to the category of An-Hogas HaYichud. an is a backup system. Primarily, and is not intended to replace the former two fundamental anhogas. That's important. It is activated by the Rebbein only when men, or when, only when Jews, fail to massacre creation through righteous acts, and instead they establish a pattern of being a creation through non-righteous and sinful acts. That's when the Rebbein activates anhogas when Jews establish a pattern of being a creation through in chatoim, then he must activate Anhogas HaYichod. Now, even Anhogas HaYichod must submit to Anhogasa HaMishpat, because man must fundamentally earn his Hatova, his goodness in olam HaBod, the future world, thereby removing the interference of n'amidik sufor the sense of embarrassment or loss of self-respect that one experiences when one receives good without having earned it. Even Anagasayyuchud has to submit to justice because man must remove Nahamed sufa, and that can only be removed if he truly has earned and caused his state in Ulim Habor. But how is Anagasayyuchud as a backup system Going to, uh, uh, going to remove or satisfy the condition of removing uh, Namlik Sufa therefore this Hanhoga of the Rebbein Shem uses a new method of Tikkun HaBriyah to achieve its objective in other words the objective of course is to ensure a nation in the Hanhoga of Yichod uses a new method to massacre creation which will still satisfy a tikkun of Namedik sufo, and still ensure that creation will reach its intended purpose. This new method is suffering or yisurin. Thus the performance and mitzvahs and the doing of tshuva when one fails to execute mitzvahs are the methods used for tikkun habriya for correcting creation under the first two anhogas. Hanhagas Hakim and Hanhagas HaMishvat Yesurun or suffering is the third and new method of Tikkun habriya which is instituted on behalf of Hanhagas HaYichod So the rishon instituted a new form of Tikkun on behalf of Hanhagas HaYichod whereby man or Jews can earn olim HaBor Now a person cannot earn HaTovah in olim HaBor purely through the Yesurin of Hanhagas HaYichod It cannot be done Not only is this true of a person, but it is also true of a nation. You cannot earn ulum habar purely through your Some merit, some schus, resulting from the free will performance of mitzvahs and tshuva, must have been earned previously. In other words, you can't get ilim habar through suffering. You must have done some kind of mitzvah or have done tshuva through uh, through the exercising of free will. Then the Rabbanishlam can also incorporate Yisurin as a way of you being Masak in creation. But he will not do so if you have never done a mitzvah or if you have never done tshuva. In addition, some tikkun of the Bria, some rectification of creation, must have been achieved by an individual or by a nation to be considered for the backup system of Hanhagase Yichud. In other words, Hanhagas HaYichud as a bailout system, and that's really what it is, from the Rabban Islam must be deserved in some fashion. A nation or individual will not receive Hanhagas HaYichud if there is no <clears> t'shusim <throat> as a result of mitzvahs uh, or tshuva. A person or a nation has to deserve it in some way. Then the Rebbe can incorporate the backup system of An to enable this person to get O'ilim Habbah. What An does is that he uses man himself to bring a tikkun to creation against his will, his own will. <clears throat> once he has been accepted as a candidate for the that's what An does. That once man, once Jews, and that's what it applies to today, has been accept, have been accepted as candidates for Anohasa <laughs> Yichud, the Anhogasa Yichud goes against their will in order to make sure that they will reside in Ulum <laughs> Habar. Thus it is man or Jews that must bring a tikkun to creation, which means to transform Uilum Hazer to Uilum Habar and no one else. Now to ensure that man will receive hatovah in Ulim a new method of tikkun is identified, as Yisurin, and this, of course, is given to man. Thus, the will of the Rabbanu Shalom, that there must be a nation in Ulim HaBo receiving HaTov lema is ultimately fulfilled. And that really is uh, some of the principles of HaNagas yichud. Now, the way HaNagas yichud works, of course, is profound. It's infinitely profound, how the Rabban Shalom uses the will of man or the will of the Jews itself or rather how he goes against the will of the Jews to bring a Tikkun to creation and thereby ensuring that Jews get mm-hmm. the, the, these actions this Hanhugah of the Rabbi Shalom is extremely profound and the truth is that most of it is not comprehensible by man however later on in Yomais Meshiach by the Yom HaDin we will be privileged to understand how everything that happened to you individually, and wh- how, wh- and wh- in other words, we will understand, or each person will understand everything that happened to them individually, they will understand everything that happened to them as a nation, and they will understand everything that happened to the entire physical universe, the history of the world, why it happened in terms of Hanhugas HaKiyom, hanoga Mishpot, and Hanogasa HaYichud. Now, this Hanhoga is deterministic, it's de Deliela, in the sense that it is activated, or the actions proceed from God above, and of course the Hashpor is directed from above to below. Now it is called Hanhoga, it is called the Anhoga of Oneness, Hanhoga because it describes those set of actions which are performed by he who has oneness. Now what's the difference or why is the attribute of oneness so important for someone to have in order to initiate actions which can be termed the? Because it is called the anhog of oneness because the fact that the rabbiishnam can employ a method that ensures a place for Jews or man in HaBor by suffering against his will, in other words, it is something that man does not initiate freely, this is indicative that the Rebbeinah can suspend justice and alter any cause and effect chain merely by willing to the contrary. Justice is certainly suspended if man receives his Oile mahabah by suffering against his will, in other words which he, man, does not initiate through B'chira at all. Thus the Rebbeinah is above all systems and concepts which he created and if he wishes, he can suspend them and do as he wishes. Only a being that is enigma vadoi, that has the attribute of enigma vadoi, absolute and total and complete oneness, that besides God, nothing else exists. Only a being that possesses that attribute can so readily perform this act. In other words, to suspend justice, because justice demands that if man fails, and he's makalko creation, well, then he should not get oilem Habo. And HaGas HaYichud comes along and says, No, that I will initiate for man a new method of Tikkun, and he will get Eulim HaBor, I will force man to engage in this process of Tikkun, even though f- he not freely choosing it, he will suffer, even though he doesn't freely want to suffer, and he will thereby get Eulim HaBor. That's what An says. And we see this in a post- in Pasha's Kisisa, when the Rebunisham tells Moshe Rabbeinu, and I will be gracious unto whom I will be gracious and I will be merciful and I will be merciful unto whom I will be merciful now that sounds like double talk what does it mean what the Rav Hashem is saying is that I will be gracious unto whom that deserves this graciousness this is not stated God doesn't say, and I will be gracious unto, whom, des- unto who that- whom that deserves this graciousness, or I will be merciful to he who deserves this mercy, no. But it says that I will be gracious unto whom that I will be gracious, even though he does not deserve this graciousness. And I will, of course, be merciful to he whom I will be merciful to even though he himself does not deserve this mercy or this rahman. That statement is a statement of anahogah sayichod. In other words, God will be gracious, he will be meracham, he will be merciful and compassionate, anahogah to whoever he wants to be gracious and merciful. Even though the person does not deserve it, has no schusim, has no merits that would, of course... Uh, demand this kind of graciousness gracious and compassion be forthcoming from the rabbin and also we see as proofs from Sukum, there are many but I just like to quote two that it says of course in the vm what the rabbin shalom says <laughs> for my sake for my sake will I do it which means that for my sake I will do it that even though the Jews are not mesech mis- 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 creation totally only partially because they are doing many chatoim, but for my sake, because I promised, Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, that I will redeem the Jews, I will institute an the Yichud, for my sake only, and I will force them, to m'sak in creation, and we know it says in Shimon Esra, in Tfilah, or maybe and he brings a redeemer, because of his name, in love, in other words, The doesn't bring a Redeemer for our sake, because we are not mishak in creation to the extent where we can have a goyel. But he brings a Redeemer for his sake, for his his name, because in love he loves the Jewish people, therefore he institutes Hanhagas which of course makes sure that the Jews will mishak in creation, they will bring a tikkun haKfoli to creation, and thereby merit o'ilim haBor, uh, of course, through the third method of Tikkun, which, of course, is Yisurin. Now, it is important to note that the guarantee of Hanogah Sayyichud embraces two concepts. One, that the creation must reach a Tikkun before being transformed from Olam hazeh to Olam Haba. In other words, Hanogah Sayyichud guarantees that creation must reach a Tikkun klali. That the world will be transformed from olim hazeh to olim habo. That is the first guarantee of anogase yichud. The second guarantee is that the Jews must be must be the ones to massacre creation, and therefore they are the ones that must be the recipients of HaTovah in olim habo. In other words, the first guarantee of anogase or the first concept that HaNagas guarantees, is that the world, the universe, must achieve a Tikkun HaKlali a complete and general rectification of all creation in other words, that there will be an Olim HABOR the second aspect or concept that HaNagas guarantees is about who will be the Masakin who will bring a Tikkun to creation and on that area, Hanogah Seyichud guarantees that the Jews will be the Masakin and no other nation. That they will be the Masakin for this world, they will bring the Tikkun and they are the ones who will have caused and be responsible for the uh, presence of Olem Habo. That is the second guarantee of Hanogah Seyichud. Now, it was not always so, but I will not go into it, because Hanogah Seyichud itself developed. As time went on, and that's for another shir. Actually, actually, it's for a sukkus shir, because a great deal of the simcha of Sukkot is connected with Anhogas yichud which we will see uh, in Sukkot. That's one of the reasons why we say, Hoshana, L'mancha Borenu. Who is L'mancha Borenu? L'mancha L'kenu? Yeah. What does that mean? Hoshana, yeah. help us be Masak in creation, not because of us, because the manchu Elokeinu, because you are our God, the Borenu, you are our Creator, the mancha and so on. That's clearly anogasayichud, and we say that every day of Sukkot. Now the question is, why are Jews pronouncing, or acknowledging anogasayichud on Sukkot every day of Sukkot? Anyway, that is for Sukkot Shia. Now we now see, we now see that these three systems, Hanoges HaKiyom, Hanoges HaMishpot and Hanoges HaYichud are the framework from which the actions of God can be comprehended and I tell you it is worth to be mimic, it is worth to study profoundly these systems because all history, everything can be explained within the context of these three systems These three systems are the real determinants for the actions of God as He relates to the dyadic structure or system of reality. All three systems are the rationale for why God does what He does. They are His guidelines that He voluntarily submitted His actions to and His actions are directed within the context of these three systems. All three systems are initiated on high, Is in other words, the rabbinu initiates the actions to the malachim, to the kochis, to the gishamim, and the hashpah, of course, is directed to the malachim, to the kochis, and of course, ultimately, to the physical world, which of course, is le matar. And of course, it is directed to the physical world because there are many necessary outcomes and results that must be achieved. These three anhogas form the profound motives of God's actions into his creation. What unites all three anhogas, all three sets of particular actions, is their common objective, which is to bring creation to its ultimate purpose, which of course we know is that there must be a community of beings, namely Jews, receiving infinite Hatava goodness in a future world, Uilum haba, without any interference from the phenomena of Namidik Sufa, which of course is the phenomena of bread of shame or that loss of self-respect that one experiences when he receives something for nothing, something which he did not earn. These of course three system, uh, systems are the rationale, uh, the guidelines, of course, the determinants where the actions of God that are initiated into creation can be well understood. And a great deal of hashkofa makes sense. A great deal of the Torah, Tanakh, makes sense when you understand these three systems profoundly. Before I close this topic of the Anhogas of the Rabbeinu Shalom, namely the three sets of, our, of particular actions of the Rabbeinu Shalom, Hanhoges HaKiyum, Hanhoges hamishpot, and Hanhoges HaYichud, I wish to mention one other concept, and that is the idea of Yichud HanHogosoi, the oneness or the sole reality of His actions, the Rabboni actions, as compared with the actions of man. Only the actions and consequent purpose and goal of the Rabboni Islam will abide and endure, and no other purpose, objective, or goal will exist at all. Thus, even though we see that man has in truth free will, and therefore each and every human being truly directs by himself his behavior and actions toward the fulfillment of his specific desired goals and objectives, if those goals and objectives are in opposition to the purpose and goals of the Rabbani as regards the tikkun of the Bria, or even if they are merely not in conformity to the Rabbani goals, then in reality man is compelled, notwithstanding his free will, to bring about the purpose and goal of the Rabbeinu Islam. And we know the goal, of course, is tikkun hakloli of all creation to usher in oilem habo. Tikkun hakloli, of course, means the general correction, the general rectification of, of course, uh, the bria or creation itself. Now, as I had said, in reality, if those goals of man are in opposition toward the Rabbanu Shalom's goals, which is Tikkun then in reality man is compelled, notwithstanding his free will to bring about the purpose and goal of the Rabbanu Islam, with those very actions that he is also employing to bring about the fulfillment of his own purposes and goals, and at the same time, thus every act of man, even though it is intended to secure and fulfill his own desired purpose, must also, at the very same time, satisfy and fulfill the purpose of the Raban Ishlam, which is the ultimate Gil chudoy or the divine revelation of the oneness of God, or Tikkun HaKloli, these terms are synonymous. Now, how this the Rabbanu accomplishes, notwithstanding man's true free will, is utterly beyond human comprehension, and forms one of the greatest and profoundest secrets of the Anhogus of the Rabban Islam. We see therefore that man is thus manipulated to mesaken creation no matter which course of action, which direction he undertakes, however, he can decide, he can choose if he wants to masaken creation willingly and freely or if he is to be, or if he is to be manipulated against his wishes to bring a Tikkan to creation. Thus we see that only the actions and resultant purpose of the Rabbeinu has any reality or endurance at all all men must bring a tikkun to creation. If they decide to do it with free will, then they receive infinite reward for the tikkun they have caused and brought to creation. If they decide, on the other hand, to rather pursue their own goals and desired objectives, then those very actions which are causing the achievement of their desired objectives are at the same time also achieving a tikkun for creation. However, since it is the Reboining shelulam that converts these self-intended actions toward his own ends, in other words, the Rabbanu ends, then they are not causing this tikkun freely or by their own initiative, but are instead being used as an instrument, as a vehicle by the Rabbanu to massacre creation. They therefore receive no schar, no reward, at all from a justice point of view. In addition, if their self-intended actions are used to bring about sufferings to the Jews as part of Hanhoga then they receive punishment instead since they wish to harm and destroy Jews and it is only the Rabboni that uses their evil deeds to bring about a Tikkun to the suffering of the Jews under the category of Hanhagah Now the Holocaust is a perfect example of this. The Germans wished by their own free will to destroy the Jews. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to obviously murder many Jews. But what the Rabboni did is he used them to bring about great suffering to the Jewish nation by not interfering with their free-willed evil schemes in order to bring about an enormous amount of tikkun which is necessary for the coming of Mashiach. And of course this suffering enters the category of Anhogas the However, since the Germans, since they have perpetrated, perpetrated such an unspeakable incomprehensible evil toward the Jews, They, however, will go ultimately through unimaginable sufferings. But the fact that the Rabbanishram employed their actions toward his own desired end does not diminish in any way the enormity and magnitude of their crime and their necessary punishment. That's the way the Rabbani operates, that he allows men, he allows the actions of men to bring about the purpose that he wants to achieve. And the Germans, even though what they wanted to achieve is, of course, tremendous evil, they wanted, of course, to destroy the Jews, and that they desired through their own free will. Nobody put it in their mind. The Rebosh did not put in their mind to destroy Jews. They wanted to destroy Jews because that's whatever they felt like doing, whatever dominates them. But what the Rebosh did is he allowed them to carry out their actions, he didn't interfere with them, because the sufferings of the Jews which the Germans intended to, to, bring, uh, to, to bring about, would also serve the purpose of the rabbi Shalom, in the fact that Jews would undergo a tremendous amount of suffering. And we know that suffering is one of the ways of bringing a tikkun to creation, a general rectification of creation. So therefore the Rebensham allowed the Germans to do what they wanted to do. But the fact that the Rebensham allows them to do their evil schemes and uses that for his own ends, the fact that the Rebensham used the Germans as his instrument does not in any way diminish the magnitude of the crime that the Germans did. It just so happens that the Russian used their particular uh, desires toward his ends but that does not in any way remove the punishment that the Germans will get the Asr Lavoi. So we see that therefore that in summary all acts of all men even though they be initiated through free will in actuality satisfy two objectives one is overt the other is covert and this is a a tremendous uh, Suid of the way the Rabbana is misnaik, the way he conducts himself, the way he operates creation, that all actions of all people really satisfies continuously two objectives. One is overt and the other is covert. They satisfy the overt objective of accomplishing man's desires, that's the overt objectives, and they also satisfy the covert objective of accomplishing the Rabbana purpose two objectives in each person's behavior. If a person's behavior does not satisfy the Rabbana objectives, which of course is Tikkun the general correction of all creation, then that person does, is not allowed to carry out that action. All actions of men satisfy the Tikkun but they can decide if they want to be doing that action willingly, and therefore they merit the reward of that Tikkun of creation, or they can decide if they want to be the instrument of God that He uses them to bring about His own purpose which of course is Tikkun Habriya, the correction of all creation. It's up to the person. But whatever a person does, all his acts move toward that purpose. So he thinks that he is satisfying his own needs and desires. In truth, he is really satisfying the needs and desires of the Rabbanu Shalom. Now the comprehension of this incredible, incredible phenomena, which is called Yichud Han will ultimately be revealed to all mankind on the great day of judgment. In other words, on that day we will understand exactly how every act of every person brought creation closer, whether, you, whether the person has been an instrument or whether the person has freely caused, of course, that advancement toward the Tikkun of the Bria. On the Great Day of Judgment, on Yom HaDin, a person will understand exactly everything that transpired and how all actions of all men, all nations, actually was advancing the purpose. Even though people thought that what they really were securing is the fulfillment of their own objectives. And that is why it's called Yichud Han that the Anhog of God, the actions of God, the purpose of God, is the only thing that really is. The only thing that really will eventually be realized. Nothing else really exists or will have akiyum, have any kind of endurance. Now we are now in the position to define and understand various concepts as a result of the previous um, introductions. These terms are Teva, natural law, Ness, miracle, Shinui Teva, which is magic, and kishuf, which is black magic, sorcery, or witchcraft. There are three aspects to physical reality. They are, what is, how is it, and what does it go through? Those are the three aspects to physical reality. What do I mean by them? Okay, let's take a look at the first aspect, what is. And what that means is that physical reality consists of beings or entities that are composed of physical substance, material or matter. This is called the choymer, the material, that's what choymer means, of physical being. Every entity contains an essence or nature that states what that being is. The nature of physical beings contain characteristics, attributes, and properties with which we can identify that particular being. That is the first aspect of physical reality, the concept of what is. In other words, what, is the, what, what are the physical entities or physical beings that exist? That is the first aspect of physical reality. The second aspect of physical reality is how is it? What does that mean? Okay. This is called the form or the tsura, the form of physical reality. And what do we mean? The following. All physical beings behave or act or conduct themselves in certain manners and ways. Now the behavior is well defined in each physical being, and also it is operating within certain limitations and boundaries. The actual conduct and parameters of behavior of physical beings constitutes what we call natural law. In other words, natural law of physical beings is precisely that idea, because physical beings conduct themselves or behave or act in certain ways under certain limitations, and that is called Teva or natural law or nature. natural law of physical beings is always constant at all times, that is the concept of constancy, that natural law is always constant, in other words at all times this is what we will observe, physical beings or entities always behave or are always restricted in terms of the behavior according to this set of rules, natural law, and the natural law is constant at all times, And also natural law of physical beings is always consistent from place to place. You don't find in one place you have one natural law and in another place you have another natural law. It is always consistent. It is therefore predictable, because it is consistent and constant, it is therefore predictable assuming one knows the natural law that the objects fall under. In other words, since the natural law of objects are consistent and constant, obviously we are able to predict how a body, an entity, will act since we, don't, since we know the natural law that it operates under. And of course, to the degree that we do not know the natural law, to that degree we cannot predict the behavior of an object. So this is the second aspect of physical reality. How is it? So, so far we have the first aspect, what is, what are those entities that exist? And the second aspect, of course, is how is it? Those entities which exist, how does it behave? Now, the third aspect of physical reality is what does it go through? Now, what does that mean? What that means is that all physical beings not only behave in certain ways in terms of themselves, but also interact with others with other physical beings in a prescribed prescribed fashion within certain limitations and boundaries these events or phenomena of interaction are also subsumed under the term natural law and are always constant at all times and consistent from place to place and also it is also predictable assuming that one knows the natural law that the interacting objects fall under That is the third aspect of physical reality. Is that besides the fact that we can discuss physical entities, besides the fact that we can discuss the behavior of these physical entities, we can also discuss the behavior that these physical entities exhibit when they interact with other physical entities. So these are the three aspects of physical reality that I want to note. Now in addition to the three aspects of physical reality mentioned, there is one other important idea which embraces all three concepts, and that is that all physical reality is in a constant state of change from their potential in the three aspects to their actualization of the three aspects. What I mean is that all physical beings, whether whether it involves the physical being itself, Whether it involves the behavior of the physical being or whether it involves the behavior of the interaction of physical beings, all physical beings are in a constant state of flow or flux from the potential of these three aspects to the actuality of these three aspects. So physical beings or entities are always changing. Physical beings or entities are always behaving continuously. There's a flow of that behavior, there's a a flow of of the change in the physical being itself. And physical beings, of course, are always undergoing interactions with other physical beings. So we see not only these three ideas, the concept of physical being, the concept of the behavior of physical being, and the concept of the interaction that physical beings have with other physical beings. But we also observe that physical beings are always changing. There's a constant state of flux or flow that all physical entities undergo. They are constantly changing in terms of their essence, their things, their attributes. Their behavior is always ongoing and changing. And they're always constantly interacting with everything else. The universe is in a constant state of flow, change or flux. Now, this constant flow or flux or change of physical reality from potential to actual, as regards the three aspects, is the immutable progression of reality toward an ultimate purpose. And we, of course, know what that ultimate purpose is. That ultimate purpose, of course, is Tikkun habriyah, the correction or the rectification or the restoration of creation to its original state of Gil Yehudai, to the original state with the presence of God, the absolute oneness of God was revealed throughout all creation, that is really what Tikkun is, that is really what Tikkun HaKloli is, the general correction or rectification or the Tikkun the correction or rectification of creation really refers to Gili Yehudoi, the revelation of the absolute oneness of God, which was originally revealed in the beginning of creation but that was concealed from, of course, men, and it is our purpose, of course, to get that Presence back into creation, that people should ultimately again realize who the Rabban Shalom is. Now, we may ask, what is the origin, or the determining principle, that gives rise to physical reality in all three aspects, physical being, behavior of physical being, and the behavior of interacting physical beings. What is the determining principle that gives rise to physical reality in the three aspects which I've discussed? And not only that, what is the origin that or what is the, the uh, determining principle that determines the stage of constant flux or flow that exists? What underlying governing principle determines physical beings, their behaviors, the behaviors that comprise the interactions of physical beings, the constant state of change from potential to actual along the continuum of the three aspects of physical reality, and lastly, the incredible constancy and consistency of all facets of this reality. In short, what determines physical reality physical phenomena, as I have explained, what they consist of. The entities, the behavior of those entities, the behavior of the interaction of entities, the constant state of change and flux that entities go through, and also the constancy and the consistency that we find that the physical universe has in terms of the permanence of physical phenomena and natural law. What are the determining principles? Are these underlying principles or causes that determine these areas of physical reality inherent and internal in physical reality reality itself? Or do they lie outside and external to, to physical reality on another dimension or plane? Now we know what scientists feel. Scientists feel that the causes, the determining principles that govern or give rise to physical reality is inherent, internal internal to the physical beings themselves. If you want to seek the principles of physical reality, then study matter, time, space, energy, and so on. Study the subatomic level of all substances, because what causes physical entities and what shape they assume What causes behavior of physical entities? What causes behavior of interacting physical entities? What explains the flow and the flux of physical reality and physical entities? And what keeps reality constant and consistent lies inherently in physical reality itself. However, according to Judaism, the answer does not lie inherently or internally in physical reality. The answer, of course, according to Judaism, is that the true causes and determining principles of, force, of, of all physical reality, in all its aspects and areas, lies external to physical reality. It lies in the Qichis nivdolim, the transcendental forces which I had mentioned previously, which inhabit olam b'riah. Now, these Qichis, these transcendental forces, are the roots, producers, and generators of all physical reality, and everything which occurs in them must reflect itself in some aspect in the entities of the physical universe. As I explained previously, that in Oylem Bria, in the spiritual dimension of the world of Bria, there lies what's called transcendental forces, kochis and these koichas are really a mirror universe toward the toward the physical universe. Everything that exists in the physical universe has a counterpart in that mirror universe. Not only does a counterpart exist for each physical entity, each Geshem, in other words, not only is there a koach, a force that represents each Geshem, but all forces are linked to their corresponding or their counterpart, Gishomim, or physical entities. We know that also from previously. In addition, we know that, of course, that all physical entities are derived from the forces. We emanate from those forces that exist in the world of creation or ilumbria and we also know that all physical phenomena and outcomes are merely manifestations and expressions of the transcendental forces. The mechanism of, of all physical reality therefore consists of two components or elements, one spiritual and that is the koyach, the force, the transcendental force, which of course resides in Eilembria, the world of creation, and the second component or element, of the mechanism of physical reality is physical, it is Geshem, it is the physical entity itself. This is called the dyadic structure or the system of reality. In other words, all physical reality, the base of that is the the dyadic structure, where you have Geshem, or physical entity on one level, in this world, and you have koyach in Oilem Briah, And those two components, the koyach and the geshem, forms a dyad, and that is the dyadic structure of reality, and it is the koyach that determines the existence, the form, the behavior, the behavior of of physical entities, the interacting behavior of physical entities. It determines the constancy and the consistency of physical entities. It determines the ongoing flow and change of physical reality that we observe. Now, based on the innate or inherent nature of any given koyach, there exists a tremendous range of possible or potential operations that can be applied to this koyach nivdal such possible operation in the koyach, in the force, would generate different particular phenomena or results in the Geshem counterpart. Thus each Geshem, each physical counterpart, is capable of a tremendous range of possible physical phenomena transpiring in it as a reflection of what occurs in its generating koyach counterpart. In other words, Until now we look at a force which is a counterpart of a physical entity, a Geshem. But the truth is that every Koyach has a range of possible operations that can take place in that Koyach and each operation that would take place in that Koyach would reflect itself in a different kind of Geshem, a different kind of physical entity or physical behavior. Okay. So therefore, the physical entity can assume many many different forms and the range of forms that a physical entity can assume is equivalent to the range of operations that can be done to its Koyach counterpart. Now, the Anhogas or that set of specific actions of the Rabbanu Shlom that concerns itself with bringing a Tikkun to creation, the Anhogas Hakim of the Rabbanu however, establishes that each and every Koyach can only be operated by its controlling Malach according to particular patterns or modes of operations that will lead ultimately to Tikkun HaKloli, the general rectification which of course is the ultimate purpose of creation. In other words, only certain particular patterns and modes of operation, certain select operations, can be implemented in any koyach. And of course, these operations which can be implemented in any given koyach force comes from the range of possible patterns and modes available according to the inherent nature of that Koyach. Now, only certain particular patterns and modes of operations can be implemented in any Koyach by malachim whose task it is to control the Koychus because it is only these particular patterns or modes of operation which has been determined by the Rabbin to lead creation to its ultimate purpose namely Tikkun of all creation which of course we know is Gil the absolute oneness, the revelation of the absolute oneness of God. Thus Hanhugas Hakim of the Rebbein Shalom demands, and we know what Hanhugas Hakim is, that set of action that brings about creation to its ultimate Tikkun. The Hanhugas Hakim of the Rebbein Shalom demands the presence of certain particular pattern of operations in any given Qayach from the total possible range of operational patterns and also demands at the same time that these certain particular patterns be at all times constant and consistent from place to place. Now the Rabbanu Shalom who is the subject of action he initiates a divine hashpor, and this is really the sequence of how it takes place. The Rabbanu Shalom initiates a divine hashpor, which is a spiritual causative force, it's an influence. It is an influence that can actually cause. What the Rabbanu does is he initiates a divine hashpor, which is transmitted to a controlling Malach of a koyach. This is transmitted to an angel that controls the force. Because I had mentioned previously that all forces are controlled by different malochim. He is Mashpia. He initiates a divine force which tra- is transmitted to a controlling malach of a particular koyach. And of course, it contains both the exact will of God as regards to what particular pattern or mode of operation must be implemented in this koyach of course of the total possible range of, potential, of, of operational patterns available, and also this Hashpor, divine Hashpor, contains the exact amount of power needed by this Malach to carry out his charge. So the Hashpor that God initiates, that divine force, contains both ideas. It contains the power that a Malach needs to carry out the will of God, And it also contains the will of God in terms of how the Malach is supposed to operate this koach. In other words, which pattern of operations should he select out of the total range of possible patterns or the total range of possible operations that can be available to that given koach. That ashpor contains that idea also. Now the Malach then performs the ordered operation on this Koyach, and this leads to specific physical outcomes in the Geshem counterpart. This process is repeated to all Malachim in charge of all (laughs) Koychas, thus the precise nature and parameter of all physical reality is established by an Isarusa Deli Eila, which I had mentioned means that the action is initiated from on high, that God initiates this Divine Ashpah, which of course is transmitted to the Malach, who then knows and what to do with the Koyach, and he has the power to do whatever is ordered to him, to the Koyach. This is called in Yis Arusud because the influence, the cause, the action is initiated from on high, from God himself, And, of course, the Rabbein sends the Hashpor from Milamailu Lemato, from above to below. Because once the Koyach is influenced and manipulated, then, of course, the Geshem counterpart, the physical reality or entity that is the counterpart of that Koyach, is also influenced in corresponding to the amount of influence in the Koyach. Therefore, it is an Isarusa delielo and a Hashpor the Lemato. We see, therefore, that it is anhogasakium, those acts of God, which bring creation <clears throat> to its ultimate tikkun. We see that it is the anhogasakium <coughs> that determines the precise pattern of operations that is selected to be implemented in any given koach, and it is the same anhogasakium that demands constancy and consistency for this selected pattern of operation in that koch. Now the effect of a selected particular pattern of operations of kochus results in a particular pattern of physical reality that is constant for all times and consistent for all places. Thus the specific outcomes of physical reality as regards to physical beings, the behavior of physical beings, the behavior of interacting physical beings, the changes from potential to actual as regards to these three aspects, and the constancy and consistency of physical reality is nothing more than an outgrowth and resultant manifestation of precise, prescribed, regulated patterns of operations that are carried out among the of nifdolim. that's what we see now that physical reality in total is a reflection of what transpires in these Koychus and that physical reality as we see it natural law, physical phenomena that we observe is nothing more than an outgrowth of specific patterns patterns of operations that are implemented in the forces by the Malochim that are in charge of these forces. It is just these prescribed particular patterns of operations among the Qaychas or forces that determine the exact form that physical reality assumes for the purpose of achieving the Tikkun of creation in the best possible manner. The term Teva which means sunk in, or impressed in, or set in. That's what Teva means, to be sunk in, to be impressed in, or to be set in. The term Teva means the constancy and consistency of any given prescribed particular patterns of operations that are implemented in the kochis by their controlling malochim irregardless of the kind or type of prescribed patterns or modes of operations employed. That's an important idea. The concept of Teva, or natural order, or, or natural physical phenomena, does not refer to the actual phenomena that goes on. It does not refer to the pattern of operations in any given koach. What it refers to is the constancy and consistency of the pattern of operations in any given koyach and also the constancy and consistency of physical reality, physical law, and physical phenomena. That's what Teva really means. The determining principle for which type or set of prescribed patterns of operations implemented in all the koiches, forces, is Hanhoges HaKiyam, or Tikun HaKloli. Now Teva refers to the constancy, of course, which means that which occurs over all times, and the consistency, that which occurs for all places. Teva refers to the constancy and consistency that applies to the prescribed patterns of operations implemented in the koiches. If Hanhogas Hakim, for instance, would demand a totally different set of prescribed patterns of operations to be implemented in the koiches, because only that would be most appropriate for Tikka then the term Teva would apply equally to that existential situation or circumstance, because this set of prescribed patterns of operations in the Kirchus would also have to be constant and consistent in order for the Tikkunak Kloli to be achieved best. Of course, the nature and form of physical reality, if that would be the case, would be totally different because the prescribed patterns of operations would be totally different than it is now. In other words, the world as we know it would exhibit a totally different set of natural law in order to bring about the Tikkun Hakloli. Teva, the term Teva or Nature, if you want to use that word, or natural law, would refer to the natural law present in that different world just as much as it applies to the natural law found presently in physical reality. The term Teva we see simply refers to the constancy and consistency of the observed set of natural law and physical reality that is so familiar to to us. It does not refer to the actual kind of physical reality we experience, but merely to the constancy and consistency of that physical reality. That's a very important idea that Teva does not refer to the actual pattern of operations implemented in a koyach. It does not refer to physical phenomena that we perceive or observe, natural law that we experience. That's not what Teva means. What Teva means is that whatever physical law has been decided by Hanogase Yichod, its constancy and consistency make it Teva. Whatever patterns of operations has been decided that the Kirchus must go through, the constancy and consistency of the those patterns of operations is what's called Teva. So therefore if Hanagas Hakim would decide that the best universe would have to exhibit completely different physical laws in order for there to be a Tikkanak cloli, then obviously those bizarre or different physical laws would be called Teva because that would have to be constant and consistent. Of course it would be totally different than what we observe now, but it would have to be constant and consistent because that would be those physical laws and physical phenomena that would have been decided by the Rabbani Shlom that these would be the best possible circumstances to bring about the Tikkan Very different understanding of Teva than most people think. Teva does not refer to what is. It refers to the fact that what is is always so. And what determines what is is the Anhogas Hakim or the Tikkan What determines that what is must be so all the time and in all places is also Hakim and tikkunakloli. But teva does not refer to the fact or what is; it refers to the constancy and consistency of whatever is. Therefore, Hakim of course, determines both the type of set of prescribed patterns of operations in the kirchus and the constancy and consistency of that particular selected set. The latter concept of constancy and consistency of this set of prescribed patterns of operations in the kirchus is what we call teva, or nature or physical reality. We now understand exactly what teva is. We understand how physical law, physical phenomena, physical beings, or all physical reality, originate from the Kirchus. We understand, in other words, that physical entities, their behaviors, the behaviors of the interactions of physical entities, the actual ongoing change that occurs to physical entities, their behaviors, and the ongoing interaction of physical entities, the actual constancy and consistency that physical law exhibits, all these things emanate from Kochus. Now, we also see that Kochus themselves have a range of possible operations that can be implemented in it. And we saw that the Shalom selects specific. Pattern, patterns of operations in all the kochus that he wants to be operative and not the other possible operations or other possible patterns of operations. And he sends a hashbor to the Malachim and he gives them koch and he tells them through that hashbor which patterns of operations that he wants them to implement in the kochus. Now that of course means that this world will exhibit Specific patterns of operations, or rather specific patterns of physical law and physical phenomena. Certain natural law, because of what transpires in the Kirkus. And of course, what determines all of this is Anhogas HaKiyam. Because it is just that set of natural law and physical phenomena that will bring about Tikkun or Gil or Tikkun Habriya. And Teva refers to the constancy and consistency of those particular uh, patterns of operations that take place in the kirchis by their controlling malochim. Teva also refers to the constancy and consistency of physical law and of course um, physical phenomena or physical reality that we experience. Teva refers to the constancy and consistency not to the actual phenomena that we perceive. Even if the physical universe was totally different, for instance, let's say the Rav decided that gravity should not exist, that objects should be able to float any way they choose, that there is no such thing as an attraction or pull that the earth has toward the objects that are inhabited in it. But rather, there is no gravity. And the rebelsham would then, of course, send a Hashpor, a Divine Hashpor, to the Malach, that would uh, indicate to the Malach that he must operate the Koyach in such a way where there is no gravity. Now, if the Rebbe Hashem decided that that would be the best way for a tikun haKlali to be achieved, then that, of course, is what we would see. And that would be Teva, because that would have to be consistent and constant in order for tikun haKlali to be achieved. So that would be Teva. So teva again does not refer to the kind of physical reality the kind of natural law and physical phenomena that we observed it rather refers to whatever we observe as long as it is constant and consistent as long as these laws are operative for all time and all places then this of course is called teva because those physical laws and physical phenomena and all and physical reality is tavua; it is sunk in, it is impressed in or set in and always must occur because that is ultimately what will bring the Tikkun HaKloli. So we can look at the particular set of physical laws, natural law, physical phenomena as a particular set of physical reality that the Rav decided would be the best way to bring about Tikkun Therefore, he of course influenced, or he decided, that the Koiches, the forces which represent and give rise to all this kind of physical reality, must be operated in a certain manner. Therefore, they have certain patterns of operations that he decided must be present in these Koiches. And of course, uh, this is what he, of course, uh, decided, based on ahl Now, we see that there really is a range of possible operations and therefore a range of possible patterns of operations that exist in the Kirchus. So what we have to explore now is why do the Kirchus have to have a range of possible operations? Why only? not just a specific amount of operations that are employed or, imp- or, or, or used to bring about specific physical reality. Why do they have to have a range? Why do they have to have other kinds of operations that, that can be performed to them, if all the Rabboni Shalom is going to control or implement is these specific patterns of operations in the Kirchus. That is a question that we have to explore. And the truth is that the answer to that is that the Rabbani Shalom wanted that there should be times when physical reality can change because Hanhogas Hakim demands that there be a deviation from physical reality, uh, that natural law change in order to accommodate other circumstances which are necessary to bring about the Tikkun Hakloli. And of course, this gets us into the entire area called Nes or miracle and uh, and that is really what, what, uh, what this is all about and that is really the topic that I'm going to discuss now is of course Nes. I want to mention one idea before we go into Nes and that is that not only does the uh, specific patterns of operations that actually determine ongoing physical reality exist, but even those physical phenomena which will exist in the future, the pattern of operation, the possible operations in the Kirchis must also exist, even if they first will be implemented thousands of years later. For instance, radio waves even though they have first been discovered only several years ago, for instance, 40-50 years ago, but the po- because uh, they, of course, have never been uh, uh, pro- uh, exhibited because, of course, there has been no transmitter of radio waves. However, the possible uh, uh, physical phenomena of radio waves already existed in the Koychus. And even though no Malach was operating the Koyach to bring out radio waves, But the radio waves' potential already existed, in that there was a koyach that actually had, as part of its operation, uh, the ability to bring out radio waves. In other words, there was a koyach that represented radio waves and was waiting for the discovery by man of radio waves that ultimately a malach would be assigned to that koyach and then once radio waves, of course, have been discovered, and uh, used by mankind, then that Malach, of course, would be in active employment because then he, would, of course, would be manipulating and controlling the koyach that represents radio waves. But the potential of that possibility, of that operation existed in a koyach from Shei from the beginning of creation, even though the actuality of radio waves, because man discovered it thousands of years later, even though the actuality of radio waves came much later. However, the potential of the operation in a koyach that would reflect in this physical reality a radio wave of course already existed from the beginning of creation. It was only after the discovery that of course uh, a malach was assigned to that koyach and now we have radio waves really existing in physical reality because man has discovered it and now the koyach reflects it in actuality, not just merely potentially.